Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Josh and talk about rehab overruns, borrowing costs, and the grind it out versus sell your property decision. Really, in the last year, I've had to learn a lot about tracking my own expenses and my uh, own cash flows through the construction process. And with that, because I took out a construction HELOC, there was some flexibility even there too. But now that I have really substantial housing expenses in the mortgage and the HELOC, um, I am projecting, I'm foreseeing that it's, you know, I'm basically breaking even for the most part um, uh, when it comes to after tax and, and stuff like that. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my wheezing co-host, Scott Trench. Mindy, the show always takes my breath away. <laughs> that was a good one. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or decide whether to grind it out and pay off a HELOC or sell your property and start over, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. Scott, today we're talking to Josh, and I'm really excited to talk to him. He is a younger guy who is on his path to financial independence. He bought a house hack, as we say, you should house hack your way to financial independence, house hack your way to get started investing in real estate, which he did. And he ran into some cost overruns and some time overruns, which happens frequently when you are doing your very first rehab. Uh, he has he's on the end of that now and now he needs to rent out his property but he is faced with kind of a big decision he borrowed a lot of money to rehab the property and now he needs to pay it back and i think you have some good things for him to look at today things to consider when he's running his numbers i mean a lot of our answers lately seem to be now you're in the grind and we've talked to so many people on this show. And it seems like 10 years is the sweet spot to go from zero to financially independent. 10 years, 15 years. And I just, I want to make sure that people realize 10 years is kind of a long time. There is a grind aspect to becoming financially independent. We cover it in an hour, but it does take a long time. It is multiple years, except for that one guy in California last week who won the $2 billion lottery all by himself or herself. I should say him or herself, not to be sexist. Yeah. They're set for life. They are set for they life. Yes. <laughs> Their book is much shorter than yours. Yeah. Um, well, great. Should we bring Josh in? Uh, yes. Before we do, let's hear a note from my attorney who says the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. And neither Scott nor I, nor Bigger Pockets, is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, 
we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Today, we're speaking with Josh, a fairly recent college graduate who bought his first house hack 12 months ago and has been renovating it ever since. Renovations went over budget and over time, as they tend to do, but he's just about finished and will start collecting rent in the new year. Josh, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm stoked to be with you all. Thank you very much. Let's get going. Let's get going. So we want to give a quick snapshot of your money situation. We have a salary of about $5,800 a month and additional income from hockey and CrossFit coaching of about $20,000 a year. I'm showing monthly expenses around $4,100, so that's a $1,400 mortgage, a $1,400 HELOC payment, $131 in gas and electric, $35 wash, $29 water, $29 trash, no vehicle payment, good for you, $147 in insurance, $280 in gas. $193 for trips and adventures, a bunch of like random, I'm going to call it $250 in random. I don't see anything weird there. $317 a month for groceries, $214 for restaurants, bars, and coffee for a grand total of $4,100 in your spending. And then you've got additional uh, – oh, and let's move to investments. We have $21,000 in a Roth. Hooray! And $6,000 in a TSP, $3,300 in a 401k, $21,000 in cash in various earmarked buckets. We have a house hack that is in progress. What would you estimate your equity to be in that property? Yeah, good question. I've estimated it at 75%. It uh, The after rehab value was $490, and my all-in... Uh, debt on the house is now 382, 383 with the mortgage and HELOC. So about 75% is the all in loan to value. So 20 to 25% equity. Uh, We've got the outstanding mortgage of $227,000 at 3.375 fixed rate, which is awesome. A HELOC of 135,000, a family loan of 20,000. What's the interest rate on the HELOC? The HELOC's on a three month float. 
Uh, so for the first three months here, it's on seven and a quarter, and then it'll go up obviously with rates. So $20,000 for a family loan, 12,500 in student loans, and then two 0% interest credit cards, one at Home Depot with $4,500 on it, and one at Lowe's with $9,800 on it. And I think that you are sitting in a pretty good situation. Let's look at your money story. Let's get a quick little overview of how you got to where you are. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not sure um, if uh, it came through or not that uh, student loans is down to only about $2,000. I think you might've said uh, 12,000 there, but just about 2,000 there. 2,000. That's even better. Okay. Yep. About 1,900 left in student loans. So, uh, Thankfully, got a uh, an employment uh, recruitment and retention bonus that went towards that uh, student loan student loan debt. So I took advantage of that, and uh, so that's been great. But um, my my money story is pretty complex. My parents got divorced between second and fourth grade. There was a lot that was kind of falling out during that time, uh, along with my dad's construction business that also fell out, and then there was a recession there as well. So. The, the foundation is a, a reasonable level of insecurity, but my parents did the best job that they could to uh, teach us money lessons along the way, figure out how to adapt and overcome with your situation. Um, we got taught the envelope method. Uh, my mom for a while had the need seed and greed method. So anything that we absolutely needed, four walls, uh, food, shelter, all that kind of stuff. Uh, would go in one bucket. The seeds would be investments for the future. Um, and we would kind of share those 50-50. But then if there was any like soda or candy or anything that we wanted, anything that we just wanted, we didn't actually need or wasn't an investment for the future, that would fall in the greed bucket. And we would have to come up with our own funds to uh, to spend in the greed bucket. And so that was a good framework. Um, and then I didn't start college right away after high school. I played a couple of years of junior hockey. Uh, I fell into a business relationship uh, with a mentor who taught me business. He exposed me to real estate. He really, he really was a, an influential force in uh, growing my money story. Uh, we would have road trips all the time, crisscrossing the country for our hockey business, and just listening to TED Talks and and Bigger Pockets podcasts, and just going through and uh, thinking and dreaming about how to build a real estate empire. So I, it really, my interest in real estate got started with that. And then uh, I went to college for finance because I figured that it was applicable throughout life, not just for a job. Uh, I wanted to learn how to account, how to uh, manage my own money and and uh, know more of the ins and outs of the financial world. So that brings me to today. I'm a financial analyst for work and uh, I got myself into, like you said, a pretty big burr there. So um uh, that's that's my money story. Well, walk, walk us through. Um, so, so you're, you, to understand your position, we got twenty thousand dollars in cash. We got about ten thirty thousand dollars in investments, and then about five hundred and ten thousand dollars in property, right? And so, that, and that's your position there. And then we just levered against the property. We have um, a couple of of personal personal loans here. Walk me through your um, cash accumulation rate. Do you feel like cash is regularly stack stockpiling in your life? Um, you gave us the the five thousand a month in income, 
plus a bonus here and there, plus the side businesses, is cash tending to pile up and you generally have a surplus that you're looking to deploy or is that not happening for some reason? I ran the numbers to come up with a three-month average and that's kind of the, those are the financial budget numbers that I gave to you guys was kind of a three-month average. But before that, quite honestly, it was just kind of a, hey, I'll look at my credit card statement at the end of each month. And if it was under $800, I knew that it was it would put more money in my bank account than what I was spending. So it was a little more run and gun up until more recently when I've really in the last year have had to learn a lot about tracking my own expenses and my uh, own cash flows through the construction process. And with that, because I took out a construction HELOC, there was some flexibility even there too. So uh, up until recently, yes, I would just kind of come into having enough cash to then reinvest or to put into my IRA or to pay down debt. Uh, But now that I have really substantial housing expenses in the mortgage and the HELOC, um, I am projecting, I'm foreseeing that it's, you know, I'm basically breaking even for the most part um, uh, when it comes to after tax and, and stuff like that. So um, it, I've, I've been running break even through the construction period and I'm looking forward to when, like Mindy said, in January, hopefully here getting some rents in to then be a surplus, right? But for, for really the last year, I've been running about break even. I wouldn't say that I'm clearing uh, a surplus each month. A lot of the a lot of the retirement accounts are from uh, 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 deductions, right? So paycheck W two deductions. Um, so that that all hits before I even touch that money. So great, and I assume fundamentally that's the first thing we want to solve today is get into a positive situation. Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to get into a positive situation. There's also a question about you know with my with my HELOC, I have a little bit of room. It's up to one fifty. Um, I obviously have those couple credit cards still outstanding. Um, so those are on 0% promotional rates for now. Uh, one will clear in January where that'll start accruing interest. The other will take until next July. But a question I had is, should I draw 6000 from my HELOC to invest my personal IRA at the start of the year and then kind of cash flow it throughout the year? Or should I continue to break even? My break even also is essentially including a, a break even of five hundred dollars a month to that IRA. So should I should I just put that lump sum into the IRA to start the year, or should I kind of just still dollar cost average it throughout the year? Well, let, let me ask you this: your mortgage payment. What what is your your uh, pity? The principal interest tax and insurance is fourteen forty two. Fourteen forty two. Okay. And what do you expect to rent this place out? Walk me through the the math of the house hack once once you have tenants in place. Yeah. Um, so I converted it from a two bed one and a half bath to a three bed three bath. Wow. And so both of the bedrooms upstairs have their own ensuite bathrooms in them. How long did it take you, and how much did you put into it? I've I've put in almost. I mean, it's essentially one hundred and fifty thousand uh, from all in on debt. Um, and it has taken me, I started rehab really intensely in middle of October, 2021. So it's been 12, 13 months that we've been cooking on this thing. 
This is a big project. I bet you've learned a lot. It's a big project. I didn't know what I was getting into. <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting into, to be completely frank. And, you know, I know you'll ask about my money mistake, but that, you know, it, it was a big project. There's a lot of learning curve that comes with that. Um, there were some losses for sure, just by not knowing what I was getting into. Um, you know, some, uh, an example where I didn't do my due diligence on research to figure out what it actually costs to get an interior of a house painted. And so I got, I got ripped off. I got, I got charged too much for an inadequate job. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, that's being naive and being new and figuring it out. You know, hopefully as you learn, those losses get fewer and fewer and less and less, but, um, yeah, it's been a big, big process. It's got new electrical, new HVAC, new plumbing. I took down a wall. I put up a wall. I moved a wall to add another bathroom in one of the bedrooms. Um, and in, above all that, then there were structural issues. We opened up one of the ceilings to put in new lights, and we found that the joists had cracked. And so the joists had split for the upper upper floor. So we had to reinforce those. And there was a turnbuckle running through the middle of the house. We didn't know what where it was coming from or where it was going. So there, there were a lot of weird things about it. It's an 1876 house. Um, but on the back end, those two rooms upstairs, those two rooms upstairs, I'm anticipating very conservatively 750 each. And that's super conservative, upwards of 1,200 for one of them and 1,000 for the other. The one has a, a little bit better and bigger of a bathroom. Um, so on the high end, 2,200 a month on the low end, 1,500 a month. Okay. Awesome. So, so let, let's, let's, let's plug it in the middle and, and say 18 for our purposes of discussion today. Does that work for you for? Yep. Works. Um, okay. So you're going to get 18 and your pity is 1430. Is that right? Did that was, I heard. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's great. That's going to make a major difference in your cash flow in a month or two. What, what is left that needs to be done? to get this project completed? How much is it going to cost and how long is it going to take? You say January, but can you walk us through that? Yeah, good question. Uh, what I have left is trim work and molding. And included in that is a little bit of finished carpentry to uh, install four custom doors to close off another room. Um, so all in, I already have the material purchased for that. It's just someone's labor for a week for 40 hours and then it's essentially done. We're, we're finished. And do you have the plan to contract that labor? Is that all lined up or what's going on with them? Yep. That's all lined up. They're coming here in two and a half weeks. Awesome. Start, put the property up for rent today. Okay. So start marketing it for tenants, give them, the, give them, uh, get the move in date. Um, with, with that, uh, if you, if you feel like you're actually certain that in three and a half weeks, this will be done put the listing up. Worst case, you just listed and you get it in January, but um, that's $1,800. That's going to evaporate every month that you don't have a tenant in there. Um, so it's like an expense going out. So that would be my, 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 my first advice there. What would the property rent for if you moved out? If I moved out, it would be in uh, probably 2750 to 3000 range. Uh, I'm in a small, small town just outside the Twin Cities uh, with good access to the, the city's industrial centers and, um, or, and business centers. Uh, but it's, it's really a destination town within the twin cities. Um, so it has really strong supports for home values. Uh, a big lesson I learned is that if you're going to do a burr, 
make sure that you do it in an area that can support the housing values if you go on overruns. My, my original project, I was only hoping to turn a $250,000 house in, into a three twenty-five. That was the original project. But then, then walls started getting opened up and, you know, the vision started to come more through of what the house could be. And obviously that totally changed where plumbing needed to go. And we found that they had cut joists in weird spots to add plumbing upstairs. And so if we were going to have to move plumbing anyway, we might as well make it really functional. And so I didn't ever end up, I didn't intend for it to be this big. I only wanted a, a base hit in to have a modest rental a year ago, um, but it's turned into this bigger project. But I definitely hear you on getting rents in as quick as possible. I, I've actually ordered the next uh, medium turn rental book. I think I got the notice that it was getting shipped yesterday. So my plan is to, uh, to put it up on Furnished Finder. There's a hospital that's a mile away. And uh, so I was, uh, that was the plan for, uh, for sourcing tenants. Uh, come January. Okay. So it, you said furnished finder, you're going to furnish these, these units. Yep. I, two bedrooms. I already have the furnish for, uh, I have the, I already have beds and, and dressers for, uh, and then the rest of the space I've, I've been living in it. So, um, well, I actually only moved funny story. Uh, I borrowed my mom's camper throughout the summer so that I could live in the camper while they were doing all the sheetrock and painting and stuff inside. So I only moved back inside around Labor Day just in time for uh, the cold weather to set in. But um, that was that was a fun experience. Anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Uh, That's okay. I just I want to say this delicately. Uh, If you don't have design skills, it might be a very good use of your money to hire somebody with design skills because people will look at the pictures of your property and say, oh, it's just an old Ikea bed with some random old comforter on there and there's no pictures on the wall or it's, you know, painted some random color. Like I don't have design skills. So I ask people who do have design skills to help me out with my medium term rental. So um, I'm not accusing you of not having design skills. I'm just saying if you don't, you could greatly improve your the amount of rent you're getting per month and the amount of people who want to stay at your house at all just by having a super cute Instagrammy site. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great tip. Yeah, I think that's really good. You've already you're, you're already into this project for 150. What's another two grand in in, in advice or whatever to to actually have a good chance at bumping those rents. And I wouldn't just do those rooms. I'd do some of the common areas if you're going to do rent by the room as well. Okay. I think that we have covered the rental uh, pretty well. Let's talk about your HELOC strategy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going, I wasn't sure if it was a common term to be called velocity banking. I know it as velocity banking. That's something that I uh, came into my real estate agent slash friend, really friend first, real estate agent second, uh, who represented me on the project, he just rolled his mortgage into a HELOC as well. And he and his wife are funneling their entire salaries into the HELOC and then only pulling out little bits of of their expenses each month. Uh, so every month their, their property debt goes down a large degree and then it only comes back up with their expenses. I'm not doing it with two salaries. I'm only doing it with my one W-2. But the idea is that my entire W-2 will go into the HELOC 
And then every month when I when it comes time to pay water and utilities and, and pay off the credit card for, that I use for food, um, that then I only pull out the expenses for that and the rest of the W-2 stays in uh, in the HELOC uh, so that the, the idea is that the balance goes down consistently and frequently um, and it, it'll be little by little, but once I add the rents to it, then it's going down by $1,500, $1,800, $2,000 a month. Um, and so when I did the math, it, it, it works out. Uh, I, really, the question was, do I get another HELOC? Do I, or excuse me, refinance my construction HELOC? Um, or do I refinance the entire thing into a 7.5% mortgage? Uh, this was a decision that I was trying to make a month ago. Um, because I only had my original construction HELOC was for only a hundred thousand, hundred and five thousand, but it was a hundred and fifty thousand dollar project. So I had to float a lot of the expenses on credit cards. So I was trying to refinance all of that. And so the decision was trying to figure out refinance the HELOC into another HELOC or just do the whole thing, uh, as a cash out refi kind of a thing. Did you use the HELOC to finance construction or did you, have you used the HELOC at any point so far to pay down the mortgage early? Haven't done that. Haven't done that because I've had construction costs to repay. Okay. So you have not used the HELOC to pay down your fixed rate 30-year mortgage at three to three. No, 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 no. Okay. The the fixed rate 30 would be like paying down 3.3% versus the 7% HELOC. Like uh, I figure every dollar that I put towards the HELOC earns seven and a quarter. Okay, so if I was in your specific situation, I would not cash out refi because you have the 3.3 whatever on your 30-year fixed mortgage. Mm -hmm. I would leave that alone. That's $227,000 at 3%. You're not going to get a 3% mortgage again. So don't touch that. If, If I were you, I would not touch that. The HELOC is what, seven and a quarter right now that is going to go up. And I would make it a point to pay that down as much as possible. I don't know about putting my W-2 and rental income into the HELOC and then pulling expenses out. That seems like an awful lot of extra work. I would just spend my money, my W-2 and my rental income on my expenses and everything left over, pay off the HELOC as fast as possible. Um, I think that it is creating a lot of extra mental headspace. Uh, To be fair, I'm not a fan of velocity banking, and I'm not sure that you're using velocity banking in the way that it is taught in quotes, taught online, where it is specifically for taking out a HELOC, throwing giant chunks at your mortgage, and then putting your W-2 back into the HELOC and pulling little bits out for spending. So you're doing part of it, but you're not using it to pay off your mortgage. And again, I wouldn't recommend paying off your mortgage right now simply because you have such a low rate that will probably never come around again. Yeah. When I I first saw this, I, I thought you were using velocity banking. And if I were going to have a long discussion on it, you're not using velocity banking. Uh, velocity banking is when you use your HELOC to prepay your mortgage earlier. And if you time it correctly, you may be able to save a few thousand dollars in mortgage interest over a long period of time because of the, the timing of the, the cash flows and the way that you're you're using the, the way you can strategically use the HELOC. 
in my opinion, that is also that that is a very unintelligent move because while you can save a few thousand dollars in interest payments using that, you destroy optionality of your great 30-year fixed rate Fannie Mae insured mortgage with that. You would never use your HELOC at seven and a quarter to pay off your home mortgage. Perfect. You're not using velocity banking and you're using the term incorrectly. Go ahead and keep using that if you want to. We'll have, Mindy and I will have slightly differing opinions on that, but like I, I uh, that was my big, you got to stop doing that right away if you're using the HELOC to pay off your mortgage with velocity banking. It may have been a interesting, complex kind of bad trick previously. Now it's a really bad trick uh, because you're going to swap your mortgage rate for, for a HELOC. Yep. Yep. I hear that. I hear that. I'm curious. Have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split, with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? I know, it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Saving for a down payment? 
a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest, Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Yep. So I so should you get a cash out refi? No. Um, what I would like to address is the Home Depot 0% card that ends in January and the Lowe's 0% card that ends in July. I've done these promotions. I'm assuming it was the promotional period where you spend X number of dollars and then there's no interest as long as you're making your minimum payments for 6, 12, 24 months. And I've done those you, if you pay off the entire amount before the end of the promotional period, you will pay 0% interest for the whole thing. If you don't pay off the entire amount before the promotional period ends, you will owe interest on, on the entire amount from the very first day you made the payment or made the purchase for the entire time that it takes you to pay off all of the amount. So the way that these promotions work best is if you can pay it off in time. If you can't pay it off in time, you're it, there's no promotion at all. It's not like you get a discount or you don't pay interest on the, the time for six months when you have it. Um, I'm really flubbing over my words here. But what I want to say is make sure you pay off that Home Depot card before the due date in January, simply because, and even if you have to take money out of the HELOC, which I don't love, but that's at 7% for however long it takes you to pay off, what was that, $4,500? And then pay that off as fast as possible. But you'll be paying much more for the last six months or 24 months or whatever for the entire amount if you don't pay it off in January. And then the same with the Lowe's card. I would do both of those and I would make that my top priority to pay off because I like paying 0% interest when I can. Or 7.25 on you know the two months that you have to pay because you've borrowed from your HELOC. In terms of the way you're managing your overall cash, you got $20,000 in cash in various buckets and you've got a bunch of different debt including the, the, the HELOC, you're almost done with the student loans. What were, what were the interest rate on the student loans again? Uh, four and a half or 5%. And why are you paying off those ahead of the HELOC? Um, I'm I'm really not. Uh, they're just in deferral status right now. Oh. So they're not accruing any interest. But didn't you, you said you just got a bonus and you paid off the student loans with them? Oh yeah, it was it was an earmarked bonus, right? So it was a uh, it was for student loans. It was a student loan forgiveness bonus of sorts. Great. Um, so that, that makes that makes sense then. Okay. So so these these are all fundamentals that you're you're comfortable with and, and familiar with. So you're not you're not having an issue with with those types of decisions. Your cash flow management strategies confused me at first, but makes perfect sense. You, this HELOC is ruling your life. 
you are you are you are using that to fund your personal expenses, and every dollar of income is going into the HELOC, um, and you are, and it is it is bouncing around, but hopefully tending to go down, or should start tending to go down once the the trim and carpentry work is completed at your house. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, I don't think you have a better option than that HELOC in the near term, and so I I wouldn't necessarily change what you're doing there. Is there a reason why you have all the cash into all these different buckets versus just saying, I'm going to have a $5,000 balance or a $2,000 balance, put all the rest into the HELOC, save my 7.5% on an annual basis on that, and then you know continue to, to use that as my revolver? Yeah, you know that's a really good question. I've thought about that as well myself because all of that cash has an implied loss of seven and a quarter by not being used, mm-hmm. right? And so I've thought about that a lot. It keeping those accounts as they are, if anything, is kind of just psychological uh, to just know that I have those buckets. But I mean, it it would be really easy to just throw a big chunk at the HELOC as well. So it, it that's a good point. Rather than throwing it at the HELOC, I would take uh, the out of the $21,000 in cash, I would take some and throw it at the Home Depot card. Oh, yeah, of course. Before yeah. January. So we've got another month. And then before January, pay that one off. And then with the Lowe's card, again, make the minimum payments until you said July, pay that one off in July. But then yes, any additional cash that you have, I would throw at the HELOC. And I'm essentially trying to use the HELOC as a checking account, right? Like it is, funds are kind of flowing in and out of that. At least that's the concept. It's a new, it's a new setup. So I haven't actually tested it over months and months and months, right? Um, So check my thinking too, if that's a good setup or if that's a a little bit of a sketchy setup. I'm trying to, I'm trying to flow as many dollars to that seven and a quarter percent uh, as possible. I and, and so, I, I don't. I don't think you have another option. Uh, that that's that's economical here. So I I you know I would I would I need to double check on this. Make sure that you do actually have access to that liquidity because it would be a real real struggle if you ran out of liquidity. But if you can, if you have kind of pretty high assurance that you're going to be able to access that HELOC then consider winding down that cash position to something smaller, putting it all towards the HELOC. And then to Mindy's point, bumping up the HELOC to pay off the credit cards as they start coming, bumping into that higher interest rate range um, with that. Uh, and then, you know, w- once that's set up, your, your game becomes extremely simple and a little tough, but nothing, nothing you probably can't handle. You're going to be grinding out, paying this thing, paying this HELOC down for the next two, three years. And, I think you knew that coming into the call, but that that's the reality of your situation. You got to get that place rented. You got to bust it on these side hustles and keep working real hard at your day job. And you have the potential, it looks like on paper here, to accumulate somewhere in the ballpark of 30, 40, 50 grand a year with that hustle after tax. 10 of that is going to go to interest on your HELOC over the next year. That's brutal. And then and then you know I think I, I always think of the HELOC as a uh, um, as a short term, so five year debt. So if you have sixty thousand dollars in a HELOC, sixty months is five years. That's a thousand dollars a month. So you have two thousand dollars a month on top of that that you want to you want to be paying in order to stay on top of that. That would be the rule of thumb. And I'd be I'd I'd say I'm gonna 
you know, I, Josh, am going to feel very uncomfortable about my position if I am not paying down that HELOC by $2,000 a month handily each month next year. Something's got to change and I got to start using my free time to, to pay that down because your position is not bad. It's just, you've, you've, you kind of, you're, you're in, into a pretty, you're, you're into like, a, I got a grind mode for a year or two here with what you've done. So, and, and it's not like you made it, you probably, you, the house hack bet sounds like it was a reasonable bet. It just went way over budget, um, resulting in this big HELOC. Absolutely. I, I totally over leveraged because of the reconstruction on the house hack, right? Um, over leveraged relative to, you know, my own income, you know, I, I need rents to really drive down the balance of the HELOC. That's really what it comes down to. So yeah, I, I agree. Now on the flip side of this, do you believe me that, that that's realistic? You could pay that you could pay 30, 40, 50 of this a year starting next year? Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I did a whole breakdown of, of what the cost would be to refinance into a, another traditional 30 year versus doing the HELOC uh, HELOC path. And it's yeah, I, I totally see that. Yeah, I, I interesting. I, I don't like the refinance option for you. I would have liked it. If, if I don't, I didn't either. Yeah, if we're talking this, this time last year, I would have said definitely do that because then you would have refinanced the whole loan into that. But now yep. you're, you're not going to get that on a second position mortgage. So you're going to lose your three and a quarter on your first position mortgage. So that leaves you with the grind solution, which is no fun, but I, I think it's something you can handle in, in this situation. And you're going to come out smiling on the other side of this in two years with mostly pay down HELOC, a wonderful mortgage rate not paying very, very low living expenses and likely, you know, a, a, a big skill set with which to take on a future project from, you know, where, where you don't move six walls. Um, yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good point you make. I mean, at what point that this is, this is getting into real estate is, a uh, something that I want to pursue more and pull more rental properties into the portfolio. What would some indicators be that you would recommend I, wait for or look for to go after the next property? Like at what point would it be too aggressive or at what point would it be just right? Based on my situation now, looking forward. Here, here's how I think about it. This property needs to be put in cash in your pocket on a standalone basis as a true rental if you're not living in there, right? And here, here's how you analyze that. You have to analyze it harshly here. Your mortgage is 1400 right? Your HELOC is producing $10,000. That's called $800 a month in interest. Right. And if you believe what I said, you got to pay a little over $2,000 a month in principal reduction on the HELOC because it's short term financing. Right. That's that's a subjective call. I, I, I believe that's how you should treat the HELOC. So if you put those numbers together, that's 1400 plus 800 is 22 plus 2000 is 4200 dollars a month. That's before utilities and all the other kind of stuff. So those numbers look dramatically better if you're getting $3,3500 a month in rents and you're not living in there and you just have that mortgage, right? Now you've got a great rental property with this. The, the issue with this property is the rehab budget not and, and, and the HELOC expense that came with it, not the, the fundamental of the investment, right? And so what you have to do, what I, what I think you do is, okay, if you're sitting in that position, now you've got $3,000 a month coming in, you've got a $1,400 HELOC and you you are easily cash flowing. This property is a standalone investment at the end, at the end state, you know, unless rents collapse in your area, which, which is probably unlikely. So that's a strong position from which to attack the next investment. Does that, does that logic make sense? Do you agree with that? 
Yep, I hear that. And, you know, because I'm I'm ambitious and I I like to look at the market and I like to think about the next the next steps, the next plays, you know, uh, the only the only way I could start this deal was with leverage and to to get myself in with leverage. And the only way to do the next deal I see is by doing seller financing and just trying to get someone to I would need to do a, a bigger deal than just a single family, but to to get additional cash flow to then throw at the HELOC. But even then I would be taking on, you know, additional landlord and uh other responsibilities and and out so I hear you. I hear you that the the plan is aggressive pay down finding cash flow as as much as possible to drive that HELOC down and then it's a strong rental after that yeah and i think if you're going to take risks take them on the income side in the next couple couple you know you've got you got the side hustle that sounds pretty pretty strong here you've got you've got uh job opportunities um you can pursue you've, you've got those types of things get your agent license think 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 about things like that that you can you can churn and burn hours for income on in the next two years at, at a higher and higher rate because my, in my opinion buying another rental property in this situation yeah it can work if things go up but it can also begin compounding against you and your position is not your position is one not one where like oh the next property either accelerates my position or it it it, it really will put you in a tough spot if, if the next property does not go well right now versus if you didn't have a c-lock then i'd be telling you buy another property right now Right, um, because you, you lived in the property for a year, it's time to go do the next house hack. Go, go do the deal. Yeah, but the rehab took a year, and now because of the leverage on that, it's going to take two, three, four to get out of the debt of it. I, I hear you. I, I agree with most of what you're saying. Um, I was looking at his situation and wondering what sort of side hustle, additional money you could generate. How much does your current side hustle take? to generate that $20,000 a year with the hockey and the CrossFit coaching? Yeah, good question. Um, the CrossFit coaching is nice because I go anyway to work out myself. So what's another hour of being there to coach when I was going to be there anyway? Um, and then hockey coaching is mornings once or twice a week and uh, weekends every uh, – Weekends every week, I go through their video and I give them practice plans and I talk with them on FaceTime. They're they're not in the city. the The other team that I coach is in South Dakota, um, so I coach them remotely and um, I travel out there once every month or six weeks or so. Um, so it it it's pretty easy to scale because it I can as far as private lessons go and coaching goes um, on the hockey side, I can kind of scale that up during the season if I need to um, and do more lessons in the morning and um, stuff like that. So that's relatively easy to scale during the year. I would say look into that and scale that if it's relatively easy. I mean, if you're remotely coaching a team in South Dakota Remotely coach a team in North Dakota, remotely coach. There's 48 other states you can remotely, 49 other states you could remotely coach a team in. And I mean, that might start to take up too much time. But if you could generate income while watching videos of hockey stuff, uh, clearly I'm not a hockey coach remote, but you know, there's, 
there's easy ways to generate more income and there's really difficult ways to generate more income. And I don't think that signing up to be a Lyft driver is going to be the best use of your time. But a uh, we talked, I can't remember who we talked to. He was a remote, I want to say remote tennis coach making quite a bit of money just watching people's or maybe swimming. I don't remember what he was doing, but he was watching people's technique and coaching them on that completely remotely. And you can do that as well. Clearly, you already are. So add another team or two or three or add another couple of CrossFit days or you know, you're doing it in the morning, do it after work too or teach a CrossFit class. Um, is that what you're doing? Or are you doing individual coaching? Yeah, it's it's with the group sessions. I don't do any individual coaching for CrossFit, just for hockey. Ooh, maybe you could. Start your own CrossFit videos where you've got a YouTube channel and you're teaching CrossFit videos and then you are growing that. Do one for – January's coming up and that is a huge New Year's resolution is to get in shape. So you start your video business now. You start – pumping out videos. Are there workout videos for like people who are just starting to get off the couch? I mean, focus on people like that. Everybody's heard about CrossFit. Here's how you do it from a beginner standpoint. I don't know. I'm not a CrossFitter, clearly. I, I think that I think that all, all this is, is correct. Now, this is all true. The answer here is earn more income, keep the expenses low, get the rooms filled, and grind this debt down over the next two years. Give yourself a two-year target, 18 months if you can. And then it's $100 a week at a time, right? $100 a week is 10 grand over the uh, five grand, sorry, excuse me, over the course of a year. So if you can get the 500 extra, that's 25 grand, right? Surely you can do that with some combination of just the two side hustles we talked about. And if you, and over time, if you keep this front and center, maybe additional opportunities emerge to, to that extent. So that, this is not fun. I can give you a path out of this whole situation if you want to hear that as well. So where you don't have to make, you don't have to do that for the next year and a half. Would you like to hear that one? A path, yeah, sure, hit me. Sell the property. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that. I've, yeah, okay, tell me more. I've thought of it. I thought I've thought of that too, but not in very, not in a lot of depth. What's the property worth? Four ninety. And your total debt is, as I, as far as I can see, three sixty two. Uh, three eighty because of the the personal the family loan too. So yeah, 380. Great. 382. It'll cost you 7% to sell the property, right? So what, what, what are we looking at? That's uh, 7%, 35 grand sell the property. That leaves you with 180 to cover all of the 80 grand left over after you pay all the uh, the expenses associated with this thing, right? Yeah. Uh, that then you have 80 grand, you can pay off the mortgage, the HELOC, your two credit cards um, that you have there and your student loans, start fresh with a pile of 50 grand, not have to grind for two years to pay off this HELOC. Um, and you can start anew with a new house hack potentially. Get, uh, you'd have to get creative. You'll be, you'll, you'll be trading the low mortgage rate for something else, but that would be a path out of this situation. I don't know what would put you in a better situation in two years, but you'd definitely be more flexible in January, um, if you decided to sell the property today. So there is a path out immediately. If you're actually sure on that property value, property values are declining in many markets right now. And so I think that would be a, a, 
you know, a conviction test for you to, uh, on that property value. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, that's a it's an interesting thought. You know, I had considered that as well in the summertime when I was realizing just how high the construction costs were going and trying to figure out what that break even had to be and get nervous about if the appraisal was going to hit it. The appraisal hit it, yes, but I listened to the uh, bigger pockets. I think it was the daily, whichever one's the little short clips. I think it's the daily one. They were talking about how rents are not, they've peaked, they're not crashing, but they're just, you know, mellowing out, except in four cities. And two of those cities are Minneapolis and St. Paul. And so uh, how much do I want to push that letter? I don't know. Um, Part of this whole thing was just about exploring and figuring out what I could learn and see if um, rehabbing and flipping a house was something that was for me and figuring out if being a landlord was something for me. Uh, We've We've learned a lot on the rehab and flipping side, but I still don't know about the house hacking side and and being a landlord and renting. So I hear that as an option. I I absolutely hear that. Um, I also, I don't know if I need to be flexible in January. So it's a good point that you make that I could be more flexible. I don't know if I need to be. I think that's right. But I, I I think your choices here are sell it or grind. And I don't think either is a bad decision. We talked to another another uh, individual similar in many ways to, to you uh, a, a few weeks ago, and that individual had like nine hundred thousand dollars in debt across two properties, and and that and a ton of consumer debt. And in that case, it was clear we got to sell everything and start over um, because this is you're gonna get you're gonna drown in the situation. You aren't gonna drown. You you're, you have the ability to side hustle and, and and figure this thing out. You have the ability to get tenants in this place. You can grind your way out of this. No problem. If you choose to, it's going to, it's going to be a year or a year and a half, maybe two, um, of, of hard work. And you're going to be coming out the other side, probably in a reasonable position. Although prices may come down, rents probably, I, I would bet rents are not going to fall a lot, but they might fall a little in the next year. Um, yada, yada. Or you could say, I'm going to take this cash, clean up my position and go start a, start another project right now. Both are fine. Just make that a decision. Make that a conscious choice and, and be, ready, be ready to be happy with it either way you go. I, I don't know which, what the right answer is. You can do both because your fundamentals are going, to be, are going to be strong in about two months here when you get those tenants. Yep. I hear that. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that idea. And, uh, it's definitely a, I hear you about making it a conscious decision instead of just being, hey, this is the plan. This is what I wanted to do. So I'm going to stick with it. But I, I hear that. I'll give that some, uh, some more thought. And you're not going to come out of it as a loser if you do decide to sell because you've got a year of experience and you should, I hope, take on a few more projects like this in the future using the lessons you've learned. You've, you've been given a, a very thorough education in this kind of project. So don't, don't squander that. Do, do it a couple more times in, in, the, in future years here. Oh, yeah. I've learned a lot. It's been a great journey and a great path through it. Um, I'm definitely glad to be on the better end of exposed walls and new plumbing and to have things put back and looking better. So, Well, anything else we can help you with here today, Josh? Um, I don't think so. The, we kind of hit all the big... Uh, the big topics, big concepts for me. I appreciate both of your time. I want to make one more comment. So if you are considering selling and you've already owned it since October of 2021, now we're at a year and a month. And then that's Mm -hmm. two, three months if you sell it, a year and three months if you sell it in January. If you wait another nine months, you could earn some, uh, some landlording expertise experience in 
nine months and then sell it and pay no taxes on the capital gains because it is your primary residence up to $250,000. I believe you're single. Yes. Okay. And up to $500,000 if you were to be married. So that is a lot of money to not pay taxes on. It's also, depending on who you listen to, either the market is going to go nuts next year or it's going to decline further next year. So uh, maybe it will be better and maybe it will be worse in October of next year. But And that that uh, two-year is to the day. So if you close on October 23rd, don't close again before October 23rd. And we had a leap year, so give yourself an extra day just in case. I appreciate both your times and perspectives and, uh, you know, this, it, it's fun to, to hear other ideas and, uh, it's what you guys bring all the time. So I really appreciate you guys and all you do. Awesome. Well, thank you, Josh. We appreciate it. You have a wonderful rest of your week and we look forward to hearing what you do decide. Please let us know. Yeah, you got it. Thanks. All right. That was Josh. And that was an interesting story. Scott, I have to be honest, when he first applied for the show, I thought we were going to be covering a lot about velocity banking, which is not my favorite way to manage money. Um, But it turns out that he's just using a HELOC to fund rehab, which I don't think is our super favorite way to fund rehab, but... He did, and now we've given him a couple of i a couple of options. I mean, his property sounds great, and I think that if he wants to rent it out, I think he'll be able to generate some some good income while he is waiting to either hit the two year mark to pay no capital gains on his no taxes on his capital gains, or sell it now and pay a little bit of capital gains. Uh, he's just he's got a lot of options. He could keep it and generate, you know, start the the grind that you were describing. Yeah. John, Josh is is a winning individual here. I, I really liked talking to Josh and really liked his approach. Um, now that I can understand it from the, the end of the episode here, um, the guy bought a house hack around this time last year, crushed it. Um, and it, well, it went way over his budget. But at the end of the day, he added hundreds of thousands of dollars in value to the property, got it appraised at that amount. And um uh, and, and is on his path on his way to doing a house hack. This is a this is a risk that I I, I think I would have taken almost identically to him in the same set of circumstances. Same set of circumstances. It just it went over budget and the project evolved in a way that that got it beyond his grasp. Probably would like to stay away from 1870s homes on your first house hack and remodeling project. That's probably a wise move that folks can, can, can learn from. Maybe stick to 1950 at the earliest, if not much more recently built. Um, but but there, there are, those are learning things, and he now has a really good experience set. The fundamental issue, and I don't ha- mind him using the HELOC to fund re- construction costs. The alternative to a HELOC is hard money, and I'll, I'll do that all day. I don't think there is a better source of construction funds um, other than cash, maybe, although you can argue that's not good, um, than, than, a, than a HELOC. So I, I think he did it all right. He's just now stuck with the reality of this property is going to, if you believe my assessment that a HELOC should be paid back in five years, then that property is going to suck cash out of his life until that HELOC is, is paid off. And I don't think you should be buying more property when your current portfolio is sucking cash out of your life. I think you should fix that problem and then buy more property such that each property adds cash into your life. And if every investor thought that way, I don't think that they'd be having 
that much fear of short-term market cycles or anything like that because you're just like, no, every incremental property adds to my net cash flow. I finance it in such a way that that's always true. Never using HELOCs without understanding the payback considerations and the short-term nature of that debt. Um, and you're going to be fine to be able to snowball it. And so he, he's going to be just fine. I bet you he decides to go and just grind it out for a year or two because he can, um, because he can't, he, he can hustle and earn that extra income and pay it off. Yeah, that would be my choice. If I was in his same position, I would first focus on paying off those big box home improvement store credit cards that are at the 0% and making sure that I get the 0% rate. Um, so paying those off before they're due. And then I agree with what you're saying, Scott. Uh, don't go buy another property until this one isn't sucking cash out of your pockets. Uh, I would increase my side hustle income, my hockey coaching and my CrossFit coaching to as many days as I possibly can um, so that I can generate as much income to throw at that HELOC. I think that as long like that was a good point that you made to make sure that he does still have access to the money. As long as he has access to the money, that could be his his uh, emergency fund. He could use that as an emergency fund while he is throwing every single dime he has at that HELOC to bring it down as fast as possible. I would put all the rent that he collects in there. I would put everything in there. And I want to just underline what you said one more time. An 1870s home is not a good first investment. And, and, and I agree with everything you said, Mindy. While I'm doing that, I'd be extremely uncomfortable about the fact that I'm relying on the HELOC as my emergency fund. So I would I would not be comfortable or sit, you know, or, or, or restful or feel like I have a good financial position until that HELOC was largely paid off. And I'm not relying on a HELOC as my emergency reserve because that can evaporate uh, with with a, a market downturn. So I'd keep two or $3,000 in cash, but seven and a quarter is high interest rate debt. I'd pay it down. I think that's right. And and I don't think, I don't th- I think there's trade-offs involved in not in, in stockpiling cash um, and not paying it down early. And as long as his cash flow is strong enough, that's probably going to work for him. So yeah, not a great option, but look, that's all the context again of the $80,000 in equity value he created out of 12,000 actionable that that's after transaction costs. Now it's before taxes. It's a great point you brought up there. It's actually a significant tax hit if he sells now. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does wait um, until next year. I would, yeah, I would at least wait for the two years if I was going to sell it. But I mean, it could be a really great property if it's close to the hospital and he can do month to month rentals for travel nurses or other people that are, I'm totally blanking on who's, he says month-to-month rentals. If only I had a book like 30 Day Stay, Scott. Mm-hmm. The new book from Bigger Pockets Publishing. You can get it wherever books are sold or at biggerpockets.com slash store. Awesome. Well, that plug, should we get out of here? Yes. <laughs> okay, that wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. He is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, see you in an hour, Sunflower. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, 
finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.